We are reading from the big book of AA, pages 70, 76 through pages 78. And Judy P from Central Jersey Intergroup is going to be our speaker. Going to, I'm sorry, that's not correct. Um, Pat G is going to be the reader of our text and it will go from page 76, if we can answer, to page 70, no, I'm really messing up here. It will go from page 76, probably there are some misgivings, to page 78, to the paragraph up to including in nine cases out of 10, followed by a 20 minute share by Judy P from Central Jersey Intergroup. Um, and now, Okay, so go ahead, um, Pat, go ahead and start the uh, reading of the text. Good morning, and I'm Pat G, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Probably there are still some misgivings. As we look over the list of business acquaintances and friends we have heard, we may feel di diffident about going to some of them on a spiritual basis. Let us be reassured. To some people, we need not and probably should not emphasize the spiritual feature on our first approach. We might prejudice them. At the moment, we are trying to put our lives in order, but this is not an end in itself. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. It is seldom wise to approach an individual who still smarts from our injustice to him and announce that we have gone religious. In the prize ring, this would be called leading with the chin. Why lay ourselves open to being branded fanatics or religious bores? We may kill a future opportunity to carry a beneficial message, but our man is sure to be impressed with a sincere desire to set right the wrong. He is going to be more interested in a demonstration of goodwill than in our talk of spiritual discoveries. We don't use this as an excuse for shying away from the subject of God. When it will serve any good purpose, we are willing to announce our convictions with tact and common sense. The question of how to approach the man we hated will arise. It may be he has done us more harm than we have done him. And though we may have acquired a better attitude toward him, we are still not too keen about admitting our faults. Nevertheless, with a person we dislike, we take the bit in our teeth. It is harder to go to an enemy than to a friend, but we find it much more beneficial to us. We go to him in a helpful and forgiving spirit confessing our former Ill, Ill feeling and expressing our regret. Under no condition do we criticize such a person or argue. Simply, we tell him that we will never get over drinking until we have done our utmost to straighten out the past. We are there to sweep off our side of the street, realizing that nothing worthwhile can be accomplished until we do so never trying to tell him what he should do. His faults are not discussed. We stick to our own. If our manner is calm, frank, and open, we will be gratified with the result. 
In nine cases out of 10, the unexpected happens. Sometimes the man we are calling upon admits his own fault. So feuds of years standing melt away in an hour. Rarely do we fail to make satisfactory progress. Our former enemies sometimes praise what we are doing and wish us well. Occasionally, they will offer assistance. It should not matter, however, if someone does throw us out of his office. We made our own demonstration, done our part. It's water over the dam. And with that, I'll pass and thank you for letting me serve. Okay. Thank you. Now I'd like to introduce our speaker. Our speaker is Judy P. from Central Jersey Intergroup. And Judy, I'm so excited that you're here with us today, and I'm really looking forward to hearing what you have to say. And thank you so much for your service. Welcome, uh, Judy. Thank you. And I do have a timer, which I just started. Hi, Great. Judy, compulsive overeater. Very grateful to be here. Kim, thank you so much. Um, I had the opportunity to speak twice down at Cherry Hill, a few more people. But, um, but this really is a blessing to be here. I'm going to just give you um, real cliff notes on my history, talk about what we read and my thoughts on it, and then my experience with um, different types of amends that I've had to make. Um, you know, when I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, I could, uh, one prayer I wanted to say, just one line from prayer, God, please relieve me of the bondage of self so that I may better do thy will. Amen. Okay, so you know, I was thinking about my life as a compulsive overeater. And I thought, you know, three words, I want food. That was it. I want food. And that pretty much was my life. Um, I was a fat little kid. And I didn't realize it until I saw uh, just some little movies of me lately. But um, just briefly, my first sight was at seven. My parents sent me to die camp for two months. Uh, the youngest person they ever accepted. Um, and uh, they sent me to die camp for two months every summer for the next nine years. So my, I guess, formidable years through high school, grammar school, whatever, was two months in die camp and then 10 months trying to keep Judy on a diet. And, you know, I think that really solidified me to become a compulsive overeater. Um, I recognize my parents did their best, um, but you know, food ruled me. Um, I picked up a lot of bad habits in high school because I went to the weigh and pay when I um, wasn't at camp and, you know, water pills, suppositories, diet pills. In my 20s, I became bulimic, got addicted to laxatives and purging, uh, but I um, never followed through with that. It was too much effort. And I came into OA um, right before my 30th birthday the first time, and I am 62 now, so you can do the math. Um, first recovery was amazing. I lost about 145 pounds in that recovery, and I loved OA. I had a huge spiritual awakening to me. It was which religions, got addicted to going to church. I've been raised Jewish. I mean, I was sponsoring gazillion people and talking, and God, I loved it. And as I say, you know, every pound I lost off my body, I gained in my head. And I stopped doing step six, seven, eight, nine, 10, and 11, you could say. And then I no longer believed step one. I thought I had the power to uh, eat what I want and not gain weight. It was amazing. Um, 
uh, uh, and it started with the behaviors. I started looking at for ways to go out to eat. It was always a diner with a salad bar. So I could pack it on, have my abstinence salad, but I was looking for the volume. I'm a massive volume eater. That was my background too. Um, and so, you know, of course I went into relapse. I was probably in a relapse, I don't know, six months for a year before I called it one, even though I was gaining weight. I'm not one of those ones who stick around. I left the rooms, uh, came back again. Uh, this time I put on 160 pounds with all that wonderful OA knowledge, worked a really half-assed program, I have to say. Of course, I went back out. Oh, and then I came back in before Hurricane Sandy. Um, first time that I didn't get abstinent that first meeting, like uh, in my first two times I'd come back. But I did get abstinent. Um, it was, I think, the day after Christmas. So this past December, I celebrate uh, 12 years, uh, eight years, eight years. And uh, from the height of my first relapse, I have God's removed my body 175 pounds. I've been maintaining a healthy body weight for a few years now. And uh, it is a miracle. I want to take all the credit, which is why I say relieve me of the bondage itself. But it's all by the glory of God. So I'm going to go into the reading, and I do have some notes. Um, so, you know, when I was looking at this, I thought, you know, the one line before the paragraph we read, remember, not that it was even agreed at the beginning we'd go to any length, but victory over food. Victory over food. How powerful is that? I must have missed that in my first two recoveries because I stopped willing to go to any lengths. And I got to remember this today. And, you know, I'm blessed to have uh, an amazing sponsor. It's my third sponsor in this recovery. And I always share this one line she says to me, I have to want abstinence more than I want to breathe. And I'm like, God, I love her recovery. Um, but that to me is so incredibly powerful. I just want to say um, where it talks about emphasizing the spiritual, I never once told anybody about the spiritual feature when I made an amends. I never once said it was, I'll go back to eating. They saw I lost weight. It just wasn't necessary. Um, but you know, the line that really probably hit me the most, and, and as I was reading this, I'm like, do you even remember reading this before? But where it said at this moment, we're trying to put our lives in order. Yes, isn't that wonderful? So I can be happy, joyous, and free. But it's not the reason. It's so I can be maximum service to God and to the other people. And you know, that, that, that was a hard one for me to understand that everything I've been given is not for me. It's to be a service to God. And um, I struggled with that with my weight loss. I wanted it to be for me, not to be a service to God. And I realized this one time I was at a red light in all my glory because I thought, you know, the mountaintop was I could now wear a shirt tucked in my jeans with a belt and jeans tucked in my boots. And I thought, wow, that is the mountaintop. And, I, you know, in about two minutes, God let me wallow in that until I realized, no, it's for me. You can show this program works from a physical recovery. And I think about one line in uh, the big, big book where somebody was healed and it says, you know, she got up and immediately began to serve him. Like immediately, that was the purpose. Um, but I have learned the truth um, through many 
fourth step, the nightly reviews that living a life uh, of usefulness to God instead of me is like the greatest peace, calmness, serenity I could ever have in my life um, with myself, with my food, with others to have, um, you know, peace and sanity with my food. I thought it was a myth, even in this recovery. I didn't have it the first few years. I was abstinent, but I was missing that. And I'll be honest, I would hear people share that. I'd say you're full of crap. No way. You can't have peace and sanity with it. And by a miracle, I do for these past few years. And um, I don't even know how. I mean, my husband um, is certainly not on my food plan. And my freezer is full of 30 pints of a healthier version of something. And there's no desire or I serve them as my former binge foods. Well, they'll always be my binge foods. And it's, it's just a miracle that they do not. Um, they just do not call me. Um, and then on the part where it talks about, you know, our man is impressed if they see we really have a desire to set right the wrong. But they're more demonstrate. Uh, they more concerned about with my good rather than my talk of spiritual discovery. And, you know, it'd be so easy for people to set me to say, you know, look, I'm a Christian. Look at me. Look at me. They don't care. They care how I treat them. And, you know, that is part of that amends. I got to amend my behavior. And um, there's this quote, and I'm going to change it for the meeting just to make it more generic for everybody. But it says, you know, preach the love of God and if necessary, use words. And, you know, I was big at words, even in my amends. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then there I am doing it again. Um, another part, you know, under no condition do we criticize the person. Oh, what a hard habit to break with my husband. I desperately wanted to say, I only yelled at you because you did this. How I wanted to blame him. Because I was convinced that if he did not set me off, I would not have reacted as I did. I didn't realize, no, Judy, you're wrong. When you're in fit spiritual condition, try holding your tongue. And I do have a mantra that I say uh, many times, not as much I have to anymore. But often I would just say, just shut your mouth, just shut your mouth. And I'd say it over and over and over. And it works 99 times out of 100. Periodically, I got to let it slip in that way. Um, and where it says, you know, his faults are not to be discussed. We have to stick to our own. And one of the things I found was, um, number one, I had a fear of being wrong. People finding out I was wrong. Then people would think I was stupid and incompetent. And I think being stupid and incompetent were two of my biggest fears. And thinking people didn't love me was my third. So those were the three. You're going to think I'm not lovable, stupid, and incompetent. So I always had a problem with saying I'm wrong. And even when my husband would point it out to me, you never say you're wrong. I say you're wrong <laughs> because I was wrong. And now I do say I'm wrong. And another thing I've learned to say in this program that I love more than anything is I don't know. I don't know. Oh, my God. It's so freeing to say I don't know. Even to sponsors, I don't know. Maybe you want to pray about that or you might need another 12-step program. I don't have kids. I don't know. So that's been a real freedom. Um, 
I did meet my husband in this program in my first recovery. Uh, he chooses not to be in the program today. He lives his life as he chooses. He knows I'm in program. I brought him to two conventions. He came on to some Zoom meetings, no desire. But I will tell you, um, with all of my recovery that I think I have, like all of this recovery, probably out of 100 amends that are made in this house, I have to make 99 of them. And I never quite can understand that because I'm the one who's supposed to be working their program so hard. So I'd like to give you some experience with some of my amends that I've made. Um, obviously, I've made face-to-face -face amends. They were awkward, but they went okay. Uh, and every time I've made a face-to-face -face amends, the person always says, oh, no, Judy. Oh, no, Judy. You know, you didn't blah, blah, blah. Maybe they were a little embarrassed. I don't know. Um, I did have to make some general amends. I can, my one sister-in-law, uh, I judged her horribly. And I can still fall into that um, because of her economic shortfall. And I blame her and her blah, blah, blah. And um, I know I'm very good at doing a backhanded compliment or a backhanded comment. I'm like an expert at it where I'm, I'm looking like I'm building you up to your face and saying something nice, but underneath it, I am letting you know that I disapprove of what your kid is doing or whatever. I'm a master at that. So for her, I did a general men's one day and I just said, you know, if, I, um, if I've ever said anything to offend you, because I didn't want to bring up the things I did say to her, I'm really sorry. She said, oh no. And then I threw it, and by the way, I'm really sorry at every holiday you had where I ate up all your food, because I realized I have more than one memory of her refilling the appetizer tray. Uh, I did a ton of financial amends. I like to steal. I grew up comfortable. I've, that is one of the graces from God. But there was something about stealing that I really liked, and more, the disease of more. And... Um, one example is um, when I was at college, um, you could sell back your books. And I was in a big lecture hall and me and my friend, after we took the exam, went to the back of the lecture hall and we grabbed stacks of people. We just went and grabbed stacks of books and sold them. And I think now, what do those people think when they went to get their books? Obviously, I had no idea how to make an amends to all these people I stole from. So what I've tried to do is to make an amends that somehow symbolized what I had done. So for that one, I made a financial contribution to reading is fundamental. And I've done a lot of amends like that. Um, I said a very unkind thing to a girl when I was 17. It still sits with me. I don't know her name. I think I met her twice. It was uh, very negative about her ethnicity. Um, certainly is embarrassment to say today. And I made a donation to a scholarship fund of her ethnicity. Um, so the financial amends were really important for me. Um, I did one for each of my, my parents who've been gone since 1999 and 2001, my brother, my grandmother, just things to honor them. Um, some amends, I don't even know if I owed an amends, but they did not sit right with me. Uh, one was I grew up in a household of massive amounts of pornography. Obviously, it was an addiction for my father, and I think for my mother. I don't judge them. Massive amounts. Since I was a little kid, I would find it and read it. 
And, um, you know, I continued looking at it till, you know, when I was home to like 21 or something. And um, by miracle of God, it's not an addiction for me. And that left me. Um, but I felt really guilty about looking at it because a lot of it was not normal. And so what I did uh, for a few years, I had adopted some children from overseas, you know, the monthly kids who are at risk of being put on the streets and who could one day wind up. And that gave me a sense of peace um, because I felt horrible about even looking at it. I got to tell you, that was the worst thing. One of the worst. Now, that was the worst thing to put on my fourth step inventory and share with my sponsor. There were some more details with that. Um, as far as amends to my husband, um, there is a big amends I owe to him, but I cannot because it would definitely injure him. Um, and so with him, I've had to, um, I don't have any male friends in program, out of program. Uh, when I was going to face-to-face -face meetings, I did every, I don't hug men. Um, I don't, I'm not in contact with them. I have some men in program from years ago who called me on occasion. I always let my husband know. If a man uh, says they'd like to talk to me in program, I let my husband know um, I rem uh, because I know who I am. And um, I lost the right to have male friends and I'm comfortable with that. It's actually easier for me. Um, the last thing amends, um, well, the, there's two more. One to myself, I do not put myself on an amends list, but I have to make a living amends to myself every day. And I've been hearing some people share, and I love it, I no longer hurt myself with food anymore. You know, the biggest amends I can do for myself is being abstinent, working my program, trying to become a better person, trying to know God on a deeper level every day. I do self-care, brush my teeth twice a day. I mean, self-care was like not even in my vocabulary when I was in my disease, clean sheets, clean towels, clean clothes. That's how I take care of myself. My amends is um, I keep learning to love myself more each day and I don't put myself down the best that I can. Um, hard sometimes not to. I mean, sometimes I just look in the mirror and smile. I mean, I'm 62. I come from huge weight loss up and down. I like to say do a ton of weightlifting and working out, but you know, skin is skin. And um, I got skin where I didn't think there'd be skin. It's like all over the place, but it's good. Um, I think who cares? Uh, apparently my husband doesn't care. So I guess that what matters. But the amends I want to end with that I had to make was the hardest amends I ever had to do. And I have to preface this by saying I was the good daughter. I wore that as a badge of honor. I was the good daughter, just between me and my brother. That's all. Um, both my parents were sick uh, the first six years of my marriage, and I ate my way through it. That was my relapse, the first one. And I, it was all I could do to even get him come down once a year to visit. And I will tell you, my brother was on every fourth step I did. He abused me in a lot of ways. And uh, but today, but reunited families, every time we talk on the phone, I tell him I love him before I get off the phone and he says it back. But um, 
so being the good daughter, you know, once my mother died, I did have to put my father in a nursing home because he had uh, his Alzheimer was so bad. He could not stay with living help. He couldn't figure out how to do one thing except how to unlock the 12 locks I put on the door and go out. Nobody could get him in. So I did put him in a nursing home and um, by a series of events, uh, he wound up falling, got a contusion and died. And I chose not to put him on a feeding tube. They said, you know, and I'll be honest with you, it haunted me. Did I say that? Because I, I was tired. I was tired of going there almost every day and everything I'd gone through with my parents. Everybody said it was the right decision. Okay. So, um, so my father died in 2001. And it wasn't, an, and, and when I called my brother to tell him back in 2001, all he said was, can't we put him in a hospital and put him on a feeding tube? And I said, no. And that was it. I never let my brother have any say in whether we gave my father a feeding tube and if he lived or died. And that haunted me, apparently not enough to not make amends till this recovery. And I remember, and I'm going to wrap up because my 20 minutes is just about up. Um, I remember I said to my sponsor, I just commit to calling him. I don't know if I'll be able to say anything. I just commit to calling him. And I called him. And as soon as he said hello, I just started crying. I could not stop. And I told him how sorry I was. And, and when my father fell, it was, it was something that I had indirectly caused. So I had that to deal with, which taught me a lot, a big lesson and stuff, stop trying to force my control. But um, I told him how sorry I was. And all he said was, Judy, you made the right decision. And he never brought it up again. And I think it was after that, I could finally forgive myself um, for not letting my brother have a decision. It will still on occasion come to me, should I have given my father the feeding tube? Um, I don't know, I have to believe that it was guard, part of God's plan. But you know, I'll just end with this program gives me a way to deal with really uncomfortable feelings and not have to turn to the food. And I'm amazed that the food does not come up for me when I feel sadness, anger. I've been going crazy trying to get my husband. I don't qualify a vaccine appointment, but the food doesn't call me. Um, I weigh and measure my meals. I commit my food. If it's possible, it goes on the digital scale. I could cram 18 cups of vegetables into one cup. They go on the digital scale. This program works. I am so happy that I am done. <laughs> I have to be honest with you. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Judy, for that incredible share. I'm so glad I was here. I was here to listen to it. For those of you who came on late, we read pages 76 through pages 78 in the big book. Now is the time for